We're uh, in, in between two series. Next Sunday morning, we start a brand new series called Trading Spaces, and Dan's already talked to you about some of the exciting things about to happen here at Messiah with the rapid growth of our children's ministry. He's right. Just about everything uh, that's not worship center space is headed for children's space because God has been so good to us in that direction. And it isn't just the spaces that are going to be uh, traded. You're going to hear about some awesome opportunities for your children's ministry here at Messiah. So I, I know you're, you're going to be praying about that. So we're going to start talking about that next Sunday morning in this series, Trading Spaces. And there'll be a lot more than just what's going on here at the church. You're going to learn a whole lot about your life. And of course, we just concluded a series called Arcade, where Solomon was looking at life, trying to find life's purpose. So here we are in this little Sunday in between, this middle Sunday on Memorial Day weekend, the uh, Sunday that's statistically the lowest attended Sunday of the whole year. And you're here, and I'm glad you're here on this day. We're going to have a great time. In fact, i got to tell you, from this morning's 930 service, I don't know that I've ever been in a more exciting service in my life. And you've already begun to experience some of the worship ministry of the service. The theme of today, however, is um, just one word. It's not really a series. It's just the word remember. Because all morning long, I want you to think about that word remember. Tomorrow we celebrate Memorial Day. It's about remembering. Uh, remembering those men and women who were willing to give up their lives so that you and I could enjoy freedom in this nation. And I, I'm glad that, you're, you know, some of you are going to have the chance to get together with your family and barbecue and go out to the lake or whatever. There's not anything wrong with that, but just make sure you take some time during this important weekend to remember that the freedoms that you and I have in America were not just given to us. They were bought. They were bought at a high price. And it, and it was the young men and women who were willing to give their lives and their families and their friends who gave them up for this nation. I'll get on a soapbox for just a moment, and I promise I'll get off. But I, I have a real worry about, I have a concern about America today. It's almost like we've become a nation of judges. We just evaluate everything. You know, the, the, everybody hears about the president's uh, approval rating is very low. And then they ask about Congress. Well, Congress approval rating is very low. Well, what about the Republicans? Well, their approval rating is real low. Well, what about the Democrats? Their approval rating is real low. You know, after a while, I mean, I, I wonder sometimes, do we ever do anything as a nation anymore? I mean, do we ever pull for anybody? Do, do we ever want to see success? Do we ever want to see greatness? Or have we become in this era of, of you know, of blog, blogospheres and, and cable news, have we become just a nation of critics? That's a sad thing to think about. You know, I mean, it's real easy just to criticize your president. It's just real easy to say, well, it's the Democrats' fault or it's the Republicans' fault. But folks, remember this. The Bible tells us our leaders are given to us by God, and we're to honor them and to pray for them. So I'm, I'll get off my soapbox real quick, but I, I just wonder here in America if we're not becoming a, a, a nation of critics and losers. Because God has given us something very special. It's a sacred trust. You know, when... When the, when the government was framed, a woman met Ben Franklin as he was coming out of the Constitutional Congress, and she asked him, Mr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? And he said, a republic, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. And it's a challenge to keep a republic. It's a challenge to fight for those things that we believe in. But remember this, when you celebrate this weekend, that there were many who were willing to pay the, the ultimate price of giving their lives so that you and I could enjoy the freedoms that we have in America uh, when I visited Washington, D.C., and I haven't really taken a long, extended tour of the city, but I've spoken in the D.C. area a number of times, and the pastors or some of the people from the churches I was speaking for would take me on small tours of Washington, and there are many things that moved me. Arlington Cemetery moved me. Standing in the Capitol Rotunda moved me. But the thing that moved me the most, and I wasn't prepared for it, 
Perhaps it's just because I grew up in the Vietnam era. But I'll never forget when I stood at the end of that Vietnam memorial, and I'd seen it on, you know, I'd seen it on video, and I'd seen pictures of it, but I just stood there and looked at how much stone it took to write 58,000 names. And I was deeply moved by that. So today, you know, when we enjoyed the, you know, the barbecuing and the lake and the sunshine and all the good things that we enjoy in the end of school, <laughs> we need to take a moment to reflect and remember the fact that our freedoms came at a dear cost. At the end of the service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's all about remembering, too. The Bible tells us that we are to remember what Jesus did for us and never get away from it. Because just like Americans can get away and forget about the great price that was paid and we can become a, a nation of critics and a nation of judgmental people and, and, and basically a, 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 a nation of unproductive people, you know, just as that can happen with a country if we forget the price that was paid for us, Christian people can become uh, less productive and we can become less effective in our, in, our, in our world and we can become harder if we forget the price that was paid for our salvation. Jesus Christ hung on a cross and died for us so that we could have eternal life. And you're not what you are because, and hope you don't take me wrong here, but if you're going to heaven, you're not what you are because you're something special. You're not going to heaven because you're good because the Bible says, if you'll pardon my Texan, ain't nobody good. There's none righteous, no, not one. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, as good, as, good people as they are and have been. But here's the deal. The only way you and I can ever get out of this life and get in the life to come is because God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to hang on a cross for you and me that we might have eternal life. And his blood paid for our sins. We should never forget that. I love this church. I love celebrating. I love all the enjoyable things that we encounter here. But we should never forget, it all goes back to a man who hung on a cross for you and me. Everything we have, this church is what it is because of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. I want to talk about something else too today because our theme is remember. The word remember, the very origin, the etymology of the word remember simply means to be able to, to call something back to mind or it means to play it again. And you know, many of us today... Our lives are determined by what we remember. In fact, I would say for every one of us here today, what we remember of our past experiences, what we've been taught, what we believe about life, those things that are in our past, a lot of our life has to do with how we remember those things and what we choose to remember. For some reason in the last week or so, maybe last two or three weeks, I, I've discovered myself, I found myself talking with a lot of very unhappy people. And all over the country, some long distance, some I met at a conference that I, I visited, some on occasion I, I meet in, through the ministry of this church, but I'm amazed at how many unhappy people I talk to. And what's, what really amazes you is that a lot of them are Christians. They're, they've been saved, they've been given by God, this wonderful heritage and a glorious future, and yet they're very unhappy about life. And here's what I discover. Most of those people who are unhappy are unhappy because of what they're choosing to remember. It's what they're playing again and again and again in their minds. Now, here's the thing. You do have a choice as to what you remember. You have a choice. I, just like with your computer, you may have many programs and you have the Internet, but you choose what's going to be on your monitor. The car I had before, the car I have currently, I had six CD in-dash changer and satellite radio. I had all kinds of options, but I had a choice what I listened to. 
And for a time, I had a favorite song. You know, I was going through a challenging time in my life, and this song meant a lot to me. And I would get in my car, and even though I had satellite radio and I had six CDs in the dash, I played this one song over and over and over, and that song helped me. But all I'm trying to tell you is you're just like that. I mean, you have many options as to what you can think about. Really, when it gets right down to it, you can only think about one thing at a time. And you have many thoughts, many possibilities, many memories that you can explore, but you choose what's going to play in your mind. And what you choose to play is going to have a whole lot to do with how you live your life. We're going to go back to the 73rd Psalm. It's a favorite psalm of mine. For uh, I, just, I was sharing with, with the worship team. We had communion in my office because they're serving during both these services. And, and I was just telling them that, that this, this psalm has become an attitude adjuster for me many times. Because Christians, and myself included, we can develop a bad attitude before we know it. We can become critical, we can be judgmental, we can be fault-finding, we can believe that things are just not going well in our lives. And the good news for us is that that happened with a guy in the Bible uh, 3,000 years ago. We've been talking about, we've been talking about Solomon. We're going to go back to his dad, David. We're going to read something that David wrote. By the way, for those of you who study the Psalms, aren't you glad that God allowed the psalmist to just put his raw, honest emotions on paper? Because how many times do we hear the psalmist start off and he's real unhappy and he's, he's, you know, he's asking God to just cut people's heads off and he's mad at people and stuff and then you just sort of see him come out of that. That's what worship does. Worship has the power to change our attitude. And I, I shared this with the early service this morning. One of the things I love so much about the worship ministry here at Messiah is no matter what I've been dealing with throughout the week, it has a powerful way of changing, of altering the way my attitude is. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments and see how it fits into today's psalm. But uh, let's start with verse 1. David, a psalmist, is really going through a tough time in his life. And here, here's what's bad. Uh, he, he's not happy with what's going on. The people around him that are doing bad seem to be doing okay. You know, they're, 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 they seem to be blessed. And the people that are trying to live right, they're, they're having all kinds of problems. And David is asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? David's saying that ought not to be, and he was really upset about it. But now, let me ask you a question. I want to talk to a lot of you who've been in church for a long time like me. Do you ever find yourself spouting, uh, spouting the party line? I mean, you don't really feel it, but you know what you ought to say, and you just say what you ought to say. You don't feel like saying it, you know? But have you ever found yourself saying that? You know, well, Romans 8, 28, no, all things work together for good, and you say it, but down in your heart you're thinking, man, I wonder if it's really going to work out this time. That's what David does at the beginning of this psalm. He's spouting what he knows he ought to say. He said, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Right out of the beginning, out of the box, at the very beginning, David is saying, this is what I ought to say. Verse 2, but <laughs> David's feelings were belying what he knew he ought to say. He said, but as for me, I came so close to the edge of the cliff, my feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Oh, David, what's your problem? I mean, David is saying, I'm losing it here. I, I'm just about over the edge. No, David was not a wimp. When he was a teenager, he went down into a valley with a bag of rocks and a slingshot and went mano a mano with the guy who was nine feet tall. So when David said, you know, I'm over the edge and I'm losing it here, we need to understand there had to be some kind of serious problem. What was the problem? Look, if you will, please, in verse 3. He said, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Verse 4. They seem to live such a painless life. Now, for those of you who try to do right and try to live for God, do you ever wonder about that? Because you look at people that are not following Jesus, and they seem to have everything going well for them, a painless life. 
David writes, their bodies are so healthy and strong, they aren't troubled like other people or plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear their pride like a jeweled necklace, and their clothing is woven of cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And David was saying, these people are trash talkers. I mean, not only are they not following Jesus, but, you know, they're proud, they're arrogant, and nothing ever seems to happen to them bad, and they seem to have everything they want. And David is saying, listen, this is just getting to me. It is driving me to the edge. I can't figure it out. Why are these people who are living such bad lives, why are they having things go so well? And David goes on to say, you know, because he's going to talk now about how it affects people like us who watch that happen. He said, and so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all the words. David's saying, here's the deal. When, when, when people don't follow Jesus and good things happen to them, the rest of us stand back and say, oh, how, why is that? Why is this person doing so well if they're not trying to serve the Lord? Why is this person having all these blessings in, in their life if they're not really trying to follow Jesus? So verse 11, it leads to a question. Does God realize what's going on, they ask? Is the Most High even aware of what's happening? Look at these people, these arrogant people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. David's saying, is God getting this? Is God watching this? I mean, does God see what's going on? Does God realize what's happening here? Now, verse 13, to me, is probably the most influential verse in this whole psalm. Because David's going to ask a question that you and I can ask if we're not careful. In verse 13, David writes, Was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and kept myself from doing wrong? I'm talking to a lot of you who are followers of Jesus. And you, you go to school, or you work, or you recreate in environments where there are people who don't think anything about sleeping with somebody who's not their wife or their husband. You think of people who don't think anything about cheating or lying or profanity. People that don't think anything at all about living the dirtiest kind of life. And here you are. You know, it's not easy to say no to temptation, right? I mean... When you, when you say, no, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to let myself enjoy what somebody else would enjoy because I know this is wrong, and then when they seem to do okay and you have problems, if you're not careful, you can ask yourself, was it for nothing? Did it not matter? Did God not see? Did it not make any difference to him? Did it, did it not matter to him that I used my money in the right way? Did it not matter to him that I was faithful to my wife? Did it not matter to him that I, I, I took funds that I could have used on myself and I did something for somebody else? Did it not matter to God? Guys, listen to me. If you ever get to that place in your spiritual life, you're in trouble. Because if Satan can get you right there, if Satan can ever get you to the place where you begin to question, does it pay to serve God? He's got you right where he wants you. And that's where David is. He's saying, I can't figure it out. Bad people seem to have it good, and good people seem to have it bad. And, and he said, you know, it leaves God's people questioning and scratching their head, trying to figure out why these things are happening. And does God even see? Does he even know what's going on? And beyond that, does it even pay to do right? David said, verse 14, all I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. And verse 15, he said, if I'd really spoken this way, I would have been a traitor to your people. So David's saying, I can't even talk about how I feel. Because if I go down to church and I get around to other believers and I start saying, you know what, life doesn't make any sense to me, David's saying, I'm going to discourage other people so he can't even talk about it. So what's he going to do? Verse 16, he said, I tried to understand. Now here's the thing. Sometimes we try to figure out why things work the way they do in life. We try to come up with some sort of cogent 
rational reasoning for why things happen. And I've been guilty of this. You know, you see somebody who's a believer and they're going through a real tough time in their life and oftentimes in the 30 years I've pastored, people come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think's going on? Why do you think this is happening in my life? And I've shot from the hip and I said, well, maybe God's trying to show you this or maybe this is what God is going to do with you. But at the end of the day, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Oftentimes we don't know why things happen. You have to trust God. That's where faith comes in. Faith is believing God and going with God when you don't know why things are the way they are and how things are going to shake out. David said in verse 16, I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But he said, what a difficult task that is. See, think about this. First thing he was saying is, I just went with my emotions. And he said, my emotions nearly took me over the edge because it looked like bad things happened to good, th- good people and good things happened to bad people. It just got to me and I couldn't even talk about it. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to back up and I'm going to try to figure this thing out and I'm going to sort it out and try to come up with it intellectually about how things happen the way they do. And he said, you know what? That didn't help me either. Now, for all of us who get there sometimes, What works? What works when life has trouble for you when you're trying to please God and somebody else seems to, you know, be driving the nice cars and living in the nice homes and, you know, I mean, they've got a brand new car and you're just trying to nurse your car to work and back and, and you know, they have, they have this magnificent home and you're just trying to keep the rent money coming in on your apartment and, and you know, you're having trouble with your kids and, and they seem to be, you know, their kids are going to prep schools and Ivy League colleges and you're saying, what is the deal here? What's life about? David's going to give us the answer. Verse 17. Then one day, I went into your sanctuary, O God. Now, David worshipped under the Old Covenant, so he went to the temple or to the, to the, to the tabernacle where the place of worship was, the sanctuary. You, you and I, we live in the church age, and, and you're here today, and you're in the sanctuary, and you're worshiping God. This is a great place to make sense of life. You may not come up with the answers that you want, but you'll come up with the answers that God wants you to have. And i got to say this. I was, I was talking about this a few moments ago. You know, when I come in here and I worship on Sunday mornings, I always tell Lance this. I always say, I, I don't come in here and I'm not thinking about my sermon when I'm down here on the front row. I want to forget about all the pressures that I'm under, and I just want to spend time worshiping God. Why? Because when I come in here to worship God, it has a powerful way of dramatically changing what is going on in my spirit. And, and I'm going to just get into a little bit of a sensitive area here. Because it could be somebody say, well, I, I don't like worship. Could it be that you don't want what's playing in your spirit to change? Could it be that you're miserable and you're content to be miserable? Could that be the deal? Because here's the thing. What I, I, I'm just telling you what I experienced. When I come in here and I experience God, you know, I can come in here all out of sorts and all upset, and, and I can come up here stressed out about all kinds of things and, and all the details that I'm working through as senior pastor here. I, sit, I, I stand right there, and, and Lance leads us in worship, and, man, I just get lost in Jesus and who he is. It is amazing how that cleanses the spiritual palate and transforms who I am on the inside. Quite candidly, there are Christians who are bitter. They don't want to be transformed on the inside. They are content with what's going on. Think about that. David said, I went into your sanctuary, O God. And what, what changed him? He said, I thought about the destiny of the wicked. Because he's been saying, you know, these people have all these good things happening to them, and they're not serving God, they're bad, they're trash talkers, and they're, and they're just living for themselves, and they're arrogant. David said, I went in there, and I began to think about their future. And then 
He said, look at this. He said, truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, swept away by terrors. Their present life is only a dream that is gone when they awake. You ever have a bad dream, you know? And you just, oh, man, you wake up and you say, thank God that's not true. I have. had one this morning. And you just wake up and say, wow, glad that's not really my life. But did you ever have a good dream and wake up and it wasn't true? You know, in your dream, you, you know, somebody was giving you a condo in South Beach or somebody was giving you a lot of money or, and, and I'm not, not joking with you now, but, you know, maybe you're ill and you had a dream that you were, you were healthy again and you wake up and you say, it's not true. You're back to reality. And David was looking at all these people that weren't following God and he went to the place where he worshiped and all of a sudden he thought about where they're going to end up and their destiny and, and their separation from God and where they're going to go, and that they're going to go to a place the Bible calls hell or the lake of fire and be there and suffer for eternity. And David was looking at all that and he's saying, you know, when I think about where they're headed, there was an attitude adjustment. Now, I have this, I wasn't going to do this. I showed them in the 930 service. I don't know if this is good for television or not. I want to show you my notes and I want you to see that I have this in red. Okay? Can you see that? I had this line in red. David said in verse 21, Then, are you hearing me, church? Then I realized how bitter I had become. Here's the thing. If I got up this morning and I preached a sermon on bitterness, there are a lot of us that would say, Praise God, preacher, you get those bitter people. Are you bitter? Well, no, I'm not bitter. I'm just unhappy about some things, the way things are going on in my life. Are you sure you're not bitter? Because David didn't think he was bitter. You know, he was a worship leader. The, the very the prefix, the, the name Asaph at the beginning of the song is the worship leader. And, and, and David was all about worship. He's all about praising God. I don't think David thought he was bitter. He was just upset. You say, I'm not bitter. I'm just upset. And that's where David was. I mean, he said, you know, it looks like to me the ungodly are prospering and the godly are having trouble and I can't figure it out. I'm trying to sort it out intellectually. It doesn't make any sense. And he goes to church and or he goes to a place where he worships and all of a sudden God gives him a vision of where the ungodly are going to end up. And David is saying, for the first time I realized how bitter I had become. I think there are a lot of godly people who love the Lord very much who have allowed their hearts to become bitter. They have played and replayed the hurts and the injustices of their lives, and they play and they play and they play, and they don't realize that somewhere along the line, the interior of their person, the inner person, became bitter. The writer of Proverbs would say, guard your heart with every diligence, because out of it are the issues of life. Your heart is like a well that all your water comes from. So you have to be careful what you pour in, because you're going to drink from it. And not only are you going to drink from it, but your, your family, your parents, your children, your friends, the people you work with, the people you go to church with, everybody's going to drink from that well that's inside of you. If you allow that well to get poisoned, it will poison every relationship of your life. David said, for the first time I realized I had become a bitter person. I had become an angry person. I was letting the injustices, I was remembering, I was playing it over and over. I had lots of choices. I could have thought about a lot of things. But I was letting the bad things play, and I would become a, a bitter person. So now verse 23 is a powerful verse. The word yet is the first w word. And the reason why it's so important is David is now going to take inventory of what he does have. Now he's going to change the song. He's going to let something else play. As he's gone to the worship place, and he's looking at what he does have, he said, yet, verse 23, I still belong to you. 
You're holding my right hand. You will keep on guiding me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. But those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everything, everyone, about the wonderful things that you do. How did he go to, how did he get from, you know, saying I was nearly over the edge to getting to that place where he said, you know what, I'm going to tell everybody about how wonderful you are. What was it that changed him? David understood that there were four things that he had. Life might not have been going too well for him, but there were four things that he had. Let me get them to you real quickly, and this part of the service will be over. He said, number one, I still belong to you. I like that. I still belong to you. Some of you have gone through tough times in life, but I can tell you one thing. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you still belong to God. You say, Mark, you don't know what I've done. I've really sinned against God and messed up my life. But you still belong to God. You're still His. Can you start the day and wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. Whatever happens to me today happens to your property. I belong to you. David, he could have said there's some bad things that happened in my life. I don't understand it, but I know one thing. I know I belong to God. Number two, he said, you're holding me by my hand, and you're going to keep on guiding me. I like that. David understood that his life was a journey. And I know that this may even sound cliche to you, but it's unquestionably true. So many of us don't understand how important it is to have this journey with God. All we think about is destinations, and destinations are important. But the journey is important, too. And David said, God, you're holding me by my hand. And he said, no matter what I've done, you are still guiding me. I like this because so many times in my life, I've gotten off track. God said, Mark, I want you to go this way, but I want to go this way. And God said, no, I want you to go this way. But God's a gentleman. He will let you go. And I said, no, sorry, Father. I'm going to head over here because I think I like this over here better. How many times have I done that? If I were God, I'd say, Mark, that's it. I'm not going to guide you anymore. I've got perfect counsel. I could get you where you need to be, but you won't listen to me, so I'm going to give up on you. No wonder this morning who I'm talking to. And you, you know, you veered off from God so many times. And maybe you got to the place where you got so far away from God, you thought, God will never talk to me again. God will never have anything to do with me again. Please don't raise your hand. But I wonder how many of you are out here today and you got so far away from God and you said, that's it, God will let me go. And at an, at an unusual moment in your life, it was like God showed up and said, I'm still here. Walk this way. You say, but God, I thought you gave up on me. God is saying, no, I'm right here. Walk this way. That's what David said. He said, I belong to you and you're holding me by my hand and you're going to guide me. Then number three, he said, you are leading me to a glorious destiny. David said, you know, I thought the bad people had it good and the good people had it bad, but he said, I got to thinking about this. Saved people are going to a glorious destiny, heaven. And then he brackets it with number four. He said, you are mine forever. Notice he started by saying, I still belong to you. And now David says, you still belong to me. That's the kind of relationship that you have with God. You hold his hand and he holds yours. The writer of the Song of Solomon said, I am my, 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 I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. David said, I belong to you, and you belong to me. He said, when I thought about this, it changed the way I look at life. I don't know where you are today. I mean, you could be filled with joy, and you just say, Mark, I've just had the greatest time in my life. I've got some things that aren't going well, but I'm enjoying God. I'm enjoying my friends and my family and my church and the blessings that I have. If I caught you on this day, 
Well, praise God, keep, 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 keep up the good work. But I may have caught somebody on a day when you're not real happy, and you're saying, well, Mark, uh, it's not me. <laughs> it's them. It, it's not me. It, it's him. It's not me. It's her. Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Is it possible that you've become bitter and you don't even know it? You say, well, hey, don't talk about me. This person did A, B, and C. Let me play, let me, Mark, let me play this CD for you. Mark, let me, let me play this file for you. I want you to hear what they did to me. Well, wait a minute. That, those things do happen in life. But the question is, have you allowed it to make you bitter? Have you allowed it to poison your well? Go to the house of God. Worship God. Let God instruct you. And let God show you where he's taking you. Let God show you that he's never going to let you go and that you're always going to be his and he's always going to be yours and that he's guiding you by his hand and he's leading you to a destiny. You may not see how yet, but you're going to get to the place God wants you to go. And if you can let that fill your heart, here's the deal. I, I didn't even plan to say this, but you can afford to live with injustice. If God is going to underwrite you, you can afford to live with injustice. May God help us to get this vision today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In the worship service today, I've talked several times about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The Bible tells us that the very thing that separates us from God is the wrong that we've done. The Bible tells us God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, came to our earth. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. He was God's son from eternity past, but he was born in Bethlehem, God and man at the same time, lived for 33 years, never committed one sin. Then when he died on the cross, the most awesome trade took place. He offers us his righteousness and our sin is placed on him. The way God looks at it, he clicked and dragged all of our sin and placed it on Jesus. He clicked and dragged Jesus' righteousness and offers it to us. You don't go to heaven because you're a good person. I've already said there's nobody good. You don't go to heaven because you keep sacraments or join a church. The only way to go to heaven is to receive God's free gift of his son, Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that if you haven't done it yet. I want to give you a prayer, and you can pray with me. If you're ready to pray, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. Come into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray with me today, I'd like to ask you to do something. Would you just take the panel from your worship folder? Let me know you made this decision. If you'll give me some kind of address where I can get in contact with you, I want to send you three wonderful resources that will help you in these first steps. I'll get them to you this week. Um, and if you just you say, Mark, I'm almost there, but I, I'm not really sure. I've got more questions. You can please let me know that with that panel of your worship folder. You can drop it in the boxes in the back of the worship center or the base of the stairways, and uh, I'll do everything I can to help you with this awesome decision. May God bless you. We're now going to experience the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask those brothers who will serve the congregation to come in. And as they begin to serve the congregation, could I share with you that what you're going to receive is you're going to receive a cup of juice and a piece of bread. These are symbols. 
They're not the actual blood and the body of Jesus, nor do they become that, but they're symbols. If you have prayed to receive Christ, you invited him into your inner person. As you pour the, the fruit of the vine, the juice, into your body and you eat the bread, you take these symbols in, symbolic of how you receive Jesus Christ. And so if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you humble yourself before him, we invite you to receive the Lord's Supper. I know this is a holiday weekend, and you could say, well, Mark, I'm not a member of this congregation. Well, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want our church to be your church today. Would you, would you do us the honor of receiving communion with us and celebrate with us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us that we remember his death until Jesus comes. So, brethren, would you serve the congregation, please?